Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Control Alt Azure. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with Yuzi. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I just realized it's been a couple of really busy weeks, and I realized that next weekend, this upcoming weekend, I am taking a short holiday, and we are flying to Lapland with the whole family. And when I say Lapland, I mean the Finnish side of the northern country being Lapland for us. And I know for you in Sweden, Lapland is probably a little bit different. And the smallest one, my six-year-old, he wants to see Santa Claus. And we all want to experience the real winter. So we have snow in Helsinki now, but it's it's not much. And seems like it will be relatively mild. It's going to be about minus 12 Celsius in Lapland this upcoming week, which is about 10 Fahrenheit. So skiing is definitely an option, having good food, doing a bit of bit of ice skating, maybe a bit of gym and good food again, and then heading back home. All right, that sounds good. I hope you get to see Santa Claus, um, you know, one way or the other. Um, it, interesting with a real winter, because I consider where I live in Sweden, like in the south tip of Sweden, I consider where you live in, in kind of the south tip of Finland. That is like the most extreme weather, the most extreme winter I can find. Um, and the fact that you're going north from there to find the actual real winter uh, paints me a little bit of picture about kind of the winters you were expecting. Um, on my end, I have adopted generative AI in my everyday life. Oh, I'm trying to at least. So some reflections on that. I tried an AI workout routine uh, for the fun of it. And it's great. But now even my digital assistant kind of thinks I need more cardio every day. It's like, hey, it's time for your cardio. And it said that seven times yesterday. So maybe there are some hallucinations going on or it just thinks that I actually really need that cardio. Uh, I also asked the AI for kind of a new hobby to try out. Not that I have the time, but again, to see what kind of uh, suggestions would come up. And I explained a little bit like this is what I do for exercising. This is what I do with family. This is, you know, explain a bunch of things. And I, I did mention that with the kids, I, I do things like lay puzzles and do this and that. And any, anyway, it comes back saying, hey, if uh, if you want a new uh, new hobby, here's an advice. So if anyone needs advice on underwater basket weaving, which is a thing apparently, I am now your person. I know everything about it. Uh, I don't necessarily know how to implement that. So I'm trying out generative AI. Uh, that said, none of this actually works out uh, for the things that I tried it out on. Uh, but a fun experiment to see, hey, can you actually take everyday tasks in your everyday life and just throw something in to a digital assistant and say, hey, figure this out for me and come back. Uh, it did turn out pretty well when I did good prompt engineering. And I said, like, I really elaborated on this is what I want. This is what I expect. Can you help me with this and that? Uh, but if you don't do that, again, coming back to prompt engineering, we talked about a couple of times in this show, if you don't do that properly, you're just not going to get the results um, that you expect. So yeah, a fun experiment. Um, but the takeaway here is do good preparations, do good kind of grounding data, uh, do good prompt engineering, and you're going to get better results. This is an interesting experiment because I share the same sentiment, definitely. Whenever I have two minutes of downtime, meaning no meetings, no billable work to do, and and I'm trying out something with generative AI. It is often that you don't really have that much time to focus on. You just want to quickly uh, type in a question and you're hoping for some sort of magic to come back at you. 
and the magic is not really there and you're often feeling disappointed. But then when you have more time, if you can bring your custom data, if you can do the grounding of the data, if you can do the prompt engineering correctly, then the results are surprisingly good. But then it feels less magic because you've spent so much time preparing that you're sort of already done with some of the thinking for the desired answer that you're eventually going to get. So it's an interesting dilemma for sure. Uh, today, becoming certified as an Azure AI engineer associate with exam AI 102. So we've regularly taken new certification exam topics to the show. And last time I think we did tackle the AI 050, which was the generative AI course and no exam for that one. And today when we talk about AI 102, this is the course and it also has the corresponding certification exam for this. Any top of mind thoughts on AI, AI 102 and becoming certified? Yeah, I think think I have a lot of thoughts on that in general. We we covered some of that in the previous episode on the 050 um, training that we talked about. But like generally, AI is moving the needle and it's happening quickly. Like it's a, it's a landscape that really, really changes rapidly. Uh, so I think staying on top of these things is going to help a lot. And uh, taking one of these courses and one of these exams that will kind of help you uh, showcase that you not only are dedicated to learning, but also you're keeping up with the pace of, of AI and, and generative AI and all the things happening right now. So, I mean, it, each to their own, uh, whether you want to do a certification or not on this. But as always, you know, getting a, um, you know, a, a certificate or a certification from Microsoft saying, hey, I actually did this exam with, I don't know, 60 questions, whatever it is, showing that I have a, a breadth of knowledge around and, and within the scope of this topic, uh, I think makes sense. So looking at this certification in, in particular uh, for AI, it's really for kind of individuals building and managing and deploying AI solutions that leverage things like Azure AI. So this one is like targeting Azure AI specifically. There's a lot of Azure AI uh, in, in this one. And I think just to make a distinction between the actual exam and, and the, uh, uh, the training, um, I think the exam is called Azure AI Engineer Associate, right? One of those with two stars on the, the badge. And then the training is AI 102, designing and implementing a Microsoft AI solution, which then leads to that exam. So if you do that certification, you get that kind of badge. Um, so if you encounter one or the other of these two names, uh, it's going to lead to the same outcome. You're going to get the certification. So again, people working with AI, people leveraging Azure AI. If you work with AI and have responsibilities like defining and designing developing, deploying, integrating, maintaining, performance tuning, like anything which is like an operative or like hands-on uh, kind of role with AI. Uh, if you're kind of engineering focused, uh, then this exam is about implementing Azure AI. So less about, I think, uh, you know, the overall AI landscape, less about everything you need to know about AI and more about Azure AI. Uh, here's what you need to know to build solutions on that, what is your reflection around this topic? Precisely for this course, the AI 102, uh, this is more about 
utilizing the existing AI services. And it doesn't have any machine learning aspects in that sense. Those are in different courses, I think, the data platform ones. And with the AI 050, the generative AI, that was more about being a power user for an existing large language model, typically. And this course is more about how do I build custom solutions that utilize pre-made AI services, pre-made algorithms, that I could employ. The expectation is that you are more or less uh, familiar with Python or C Sharp. I'm a C Sharp guy myself. I can read Python, but I don't really use Python that much. But if you're planning on attending this course or if you're planning on doing the certification, you have to have either. If you have both, that's great. But at least C Sharp, I would say, is crucial in order to complete the labs, in order to understand how do I actually build stuff. So this is not for power users, this is for developers, this is for architects, this is for people who feel at home with Visual Studio Code or Visual Studio. Yeah, so so implementers, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Developers, people, people who can code. But I, I wouldn't say that you have to be fluent with with either. You you have to be comfortable in creating projects but you don't have to know everything about everything definitely no the apis the rest apis are relatively simple the sdks are very approachable so i wouldn't even say that this is a big challenge for a developer this is more about understanding what's available how do i confidently use this and when should i use the rest api when should i use the sdk and, and, and for which specific service. That's that sort of is the focus for this course. It doesn't have anything to do with generative AI. So there's no GPT stuff, there's no OpenAI, Azure OpenAI, none of that is in scope for this course. Right, and I think that's a good point to clarify as well, because some of the questions I'm getting around AI is like, what GPT model do I need to use? How do I train the model? How do I do this? How do, like more the machine learning and the large language model aspect of like what model and why does it matter and how do I make a decision? All these kind of things. Um, so I think that's a good clarification that this is about implementing Azure AI kind of solutions and leveraging Azure AI and, and the services within that ecosystem. Um, on that note, uh, one note that stands out, they also clarified this on the exam page is, uh, and I know we talked about this in the uh, in the show a couple of times, but if you haven't heard that, Cognitive Services was renamed to Azure AI Services. So whatever was Cognitive Services or under the umbrella of Cognitive Services is now under the umbrella of Azure AI Services. So when it says that you need to understand the Azure AI portfolio, cognitive services, what used to be called as cognitive services, that's part of the Azure AI services and uh, individual services are also renamed. So if they're used to be a service under cognitive service with a specific name, that may have a new name now under Azure AI. So do take a look at that because you might be very experienced with some of these things like uh, speech or text or whatever, but under a different name. So just make sure that you do that mapping. So you understand if you look at the coverage and it says, hey, we're going to cover these services in Azure AI, and you've never heard about them, maybe you've actually worked with some of them using cognitive services. So just a friendly reminder to take a look at that, because I think that will help clarify a couple of things as well. So for, for me, 
for for me, it will always be cognitive services. It will always be Azure AD. I will never learn the new names. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Um, so looking at the the things being measured here, uh, like the overview, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven, kind of six bullet points. I think that they mention, which is quite a lot. Like usually, it's four different sections, and, and they have about 25% each. But here's a couple of more kind of angles to it. Uh, I'm just going to run through the titles of these, and then we'll dive into each and then just to see kind of what they're about. Um, so 15 to 20% is about planning and managing an Azure AI solution. 10 to 15% is about implementing decision support solutions. 15 to 20% about implement computer vision solutions. 30 to 35%, so that's the biggest part, is implementing natural language processing solutions. 10 to 15% on implementing knowledge mining and document intelligence solutions. And finally, 10 to 15% implementing generative AI solutions. So very small portions spread out and one big portions with implementing natural language processing solutions. Looking at each of these, is there anything on your mind that stands out or like what is the top of the line that we need to understand for each of these sections? So a lot of the AI skills, AI solutions that used to be called cognitive services, a lot of them are similar. So once you learn to use one of them, it's relatively easy to learn the rest as well, because you use them through REST APIs or you use them through the SDKs. And the SDKs are fairly similar in that sense. So I feel the first one, planning and managing an Azure AI solution, that's key here. You need to have a plan. How do I utilize this? And what I mean by this, especially this year, I've often heard somebody say, saying, yeah, we need a custom app for doing X. And for X, we are planning to utilize AI. And I'm like, so how specifically would you like to use AI? You can you can think of it as a component. You drag and drop that on a, on a web page and say, well, now we have AI. Yes, but what do we do with this? So planning and managing, that's probably key. Then the four others, the decision support solution, the computer vision, natural language processing, and knowledge mining. They are fairly similar in the sense that you have a business need, and now you know how to utilize those. You just point to a different API. The pricing is a little bit different, and maybe the source data differs if it's images, text, or something else. But beyond that, it's, it's more or less the same with a different outcome. Yeah, I, I like that. That's a good reflection because, like, looking through some of the stuff, <clears throat> some of the stuff here, and uh, you know, the things being measured on, it's exactly that. Like, select the appropriate kind of Azure AI service for X, and then when you when you've done that, if you know what to select for for kind of what use cases, you kind of deploy it the same way. You kind of use the SDKs the same way. You monitor and secure it kind of the same way. Implement key vaults kind of the same way. Manage your keys. Like all these kind of things are. Uh, are then kind of the same. Um, so I, I definitely agree on that as well. And I think like we'll put the link in the show note to the actual study guide and you'll get bullet point by bullet point saying, hey, this is what you need to understand if you want the full scope of understanding this exam or taking this exam, uh, which I think is pretty good. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not going to drill into too much detail in each of these sections, but one thing that I, I really think stands out is um, that section for natural language processing solution that is 30 to 35 percent 
and just kind of high level the different sections within that that is being measured because that's where I really need to up my game for the natural language processing stuff is stuff like analyze text by using Azure AI language. I haven't used that a lot. Uh, process speech by using Azure AI speech also haven't used that a lot. So those are kind of the two things I would need to really dig into. There's also translate language uh, using the Azure AI translator service. There's implement and manage a language understanding model by using Azure AI language. Uh, and then create a question answering solution by using Azure AI language. So a lot about Azure AI language, a lot about how to use that. And um, yeah, I, I think some of those things are really fun to learn as well. So I'm looking forward to actually diving into some of the study material that we'll talk about um, in a bit. But that is, uh, to me, that is where I would have to focus kind of my attention to uh, explore some of these APIs and the SDKs and the services and see like how do they work in kind of identify, self-identify the gaps uh, that I have in my knowledge for for doing that. That's a that's a good point. And I delivered this course a couple of weeks ago as a remote delivery. And somebody asked me during that delivery that, so, okay, when we talk about natural language processing solutions as part of Azure AI services, why would I need, why, why would I use this as opposed to just using Azure OpenAI and GPT-4? Well, one, one being speed, the second reason being cost. Azure AI services are super cost effective because they work differently than the large language model capabilities. So it's more cost effective. It's often faster for relatively long texts. If you need to translate those, if you need to do speech to text or text to speech, or somehow need to modify text and obviously GPT models are great. We've all used those by now. But for applications, when you need to embed some sort of capability into an application that maybe 5,000 users are going to be using every day, then you're looking at these because these are smaller building blocks for a specific need as opposed to having a general AI that can do anything that you instruct it to do. All right. So I, I think that is like looking through the study guide, it's uh, again, we'll put the link to that in the show notes. You can just click that and, and take a look for yourself. I think it does cover quite a good range of like how, how to implement Azure AI services specifically. Uh, it does touch on like in the in the final section, it does touch a little bit like 10% or so on Azure Open AI service and, and like implementing generative AI solutions. One thing that I also do know is if you want to do the self-study materials, self-study labs, or if you want to do anything with Azure OpenAI service right now, you still have to request access to Azure OpenAI and get your tenant approved for that. So again, I think we talked about that in the uh, 050, AI 050 uh, training uh, material course as well. We, we did a show on that a couple of weeks back. The same thing applies here. If you want to do some kind of self-study, if you want to try an experiment and you want to touch on that specific thing with uh, Azure OpenAI to do the generative AI stuff, make sure you request that as soon as possible so your tenant gets approved so you can actually deploy that service. Um, and then within the scope of generative AI, it's only really using Azure OpenAI service to generate content, which is pretty much you, you provision the service, you select a model, um, you add a prompt and you know you submit some to, to generate code and something for DALI to generate some images, and that's it. Uh, and then optimizing the generative AI as well. So it's it's not a, it's a pretty small section of the exam and the course that is about that. But again, if you do 
want to have Azure OpenAI uh, service in your tenant, make sure you do request that. We did put the link in the previous show note. We'll put the link here as well. So if you want that handy, just check the show notes, click that link and make a request. Um, so I think that's just a kind of final call out that I want to have there. So another thing that always comes to mind when we talk about certifications is how do I prepare for this? So we have the study guide, which is essentially a, a file or, or a web page saying, here's what's uh, going to be measured. But beyond like the sections being measured, how do you prepare for this exam? I think I've said this before, and this was maybe years and years ago. Uh, for me, the best preparation is to build something. And for this course, it has predefined labs, and definitely you can, you, you can, and you should be using those labs. They are relatively simple, and and at times I'm sort of hoping, yeah, this could maybe be more complex, and this could maybe draw into everything we've learned so far in the course and sort of build that together. But since each module is focusing on one or a few different AI services, the labs will then focus on one or a few of those AI services. So the labs are self-paced and they're available on GitHub or if you're using a hosted lab environment, definitely they will be automatically there available as well. And this course is interesting because there's 24 individual labs. And when I did the delivery on this one, I had three days and those were three fairly hectic days to get everything done. We needed to do all of the labs, so that's about eight labs per day, plus a bunch of modules per day. It's doable, but I think the recommendation for this usually is four days, and that gives you a little bit longer breaks. It gives you a little bit of breathing time, a little bit more discussions on what you've just learned after each module. But the labs, definitely doable. Uh, they don't require much, but they do require an Azure subscription. They do require uh, a bit of credits in that Azure environment when you're using some of these capabilities. But if you're using a hosted lab, that's typically covered in there and, and you can just continue through all of those labs and not really having to worry about deploying anything in that sense. All right, that sounds good. So one thing that comes to mind here is when we talk about the labs, I know some training courses, some of the mock courses, some of the official courses, they have uh, labs and training material on GitHub. And some of them, like this one, I think is also hosted in Scalable. So if you do an exam or if, if you do it that way, you'll get a virtual environment and, and do th some things. But if we're looking to just prepare, if I want to play around a little bit and I want to try those labs in my own tenant, can I find this in GitHub? Uh, or do I have to do like the actual instructor-led course? Or do I have to sit the exam to to access one of those environments? Or can I try to do the labs um, kind of at my own pace? Yes, yes, you can. So all you have to do is go to github.com, you search AI-102 and, and, and you get the repo. And it's relatively fresh. And when I, when I did all of the labs before delivering the course, everything worked. But at the same time, as, as often happens with labs, is that you have a sort of a happy path inside the lab. If the lab is telling you, do this, that's exactly what you have to do in order to guarantee something works later on that relies on this that you just did. But often you find people attending a course like this, they start going through the lab and they're like, yeah, it's asking me to type in a name, name like Jim Smith, 
no, no, I want to put in my name in here. Yes, but then there's something <laughs> later on that relies on that field having <laughs> Jim Smith. Now it broke down, which is fine, but now it's up to you to figure out how to fix it. Yeah, but I don't know how. Yes, that's why you have to follow the happy path. Then it's guaranteed to work. If you deviate, then it's up to you to troubleshoot the possible problems. I like both approaches, though. For people with less experience, it's great. You have the happy path. Just go and, and you get the feeling of, of satisfaction when you complete something and something works. But for more experienced people, I often say deviate and then debug and troubleshoot the problems because that sort of enforces you to learn more beyond just the content in the lab. Yeah. And that reminds me, going back in time, I, I used to deliver a lot of trainings. So I was an MCT for many years, did a lot of trainings, um, mostly around SharePoint at that time. Some of the labs and some of the official courses had like page after page after page in a physical manual. Uh, back in that day, we didn't have the PDFs delivered or GitHub courses, anything like that. It was an actual printed book on every student's desk. They opened it and it was 11 pages of XSLT or XML that you had to kind of just type in. Like here's a, here's a web part definition file, type this in and it's like 215 lines or something like that. It's ridiculous, two and a half hours just to type the XML. So I'm, I'm really glad we're not there anymore in, in that, uh, moved, moved away a little bit from that. But I do agree, like exactly that approach. If, if this is brand new to you, if you never worked with Azure, or if you uh, never worked with AI within Azure, if you're not certain, like if you're not comfortable you know, taking out the, the, you know, flying under your own wings, if you will. Uh, it's great to follow that kind of happy path. Absolutely. I am the latter of the two. I am always breaking. I'm trying to break things and I'm trying to figure out why it breaks. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't. Um, but again, I think I'm the same as you there. I learn by doing, I implement some, I try it out. I play around with it. I figure things out along the way. And that's how I learn. Um, looking at study resources, it's kind of the same as always for these kind of things. Uh, there are generally kind of two recommended ways that I usually recommend and also that the study guide recommends. It's the self-paced training with Microsoft Learn modules. These are online free and at your own discretion. You can do them whenever, however you want. And then there's the instructor-led classes, kind of what you're delivering when, when you do instructor-led classes with the full kind of mock type materials. Um, and again, see the show notes for a link to the instructor of trainings and also the self-paced modules, uh, if that's your thing. Um, and there's always all the supporting documentation and looking at documentation today, it's really good compared to, again, when we did the, uh, Microsoft, uh, SharePoint server 2007 training courses back in the day, like 2008, 2009, kind of this time frame. you know, MSDN at the time and TechNet, they didn't have a lot of stuff on how to figure things out, how to build stuff on top of SharePoint. So there was a lot of things that didn't work. And when it didn't work out, you didn't have the documentation to support it because nobody had that documentation written. Um, so now that is a, a kind of a learning, just looking back 15 years. Today, all the documentation is already there when you start a new service, when you try something new out, when there's something new coming out. There's always... Uh, always already great documentation there. It's always being improved as well. Things change quickly. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of my go-to resources. The self-paced uh, learn modules to kind of 
identify identify my gaps myself to see okay i i failed in these areas or here's kind of room for improvement um and also just the documentation to go through things and say oh this service can do this oh this is how you do permissions or access controls or security or key vault integration whatever it is that i want to kind of learn i can use the documentation for that so those are kind of my recommendations on study material uh, do you agree or do you have other opinions on that i i do agree heavily uh and back in the day i sort of like the fact that you would travel maybe to a customer site to deliver maybe a three or five day training and you would bring those printed materials with you 20 people attending you had 20 times a massive phone book with you you would hand those out and then you would say okay today we go to page 272 we continue on chapter two and yes it was quite rough for the attendees at times because you 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 literally felt the amount of knowledge you had to ingest and digest in the next five days because it was a heavy book and now mm. if i'm simply saying yeah here's a link for you people open the link they sort of skim through yeah, yeah i get this but do you really and often you don't so you need to do the labs you need to put some focused time aside and really dive deep into the content and having said this what i've been doing lately i've been preparing a couple of conference talks for the upcoming weeks and what i'm trying is i go to microsoft learn and i select whatever azure open ai microsoft enter and so on i download everything as a pdf there's the download pdf button and regardless of how much content that is you get a single pdf file and often it's 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 1500 pages or 3000 pages or something like this i pick that up i crack open the document with azure open ai i index everything i tokenize everything then i have a simple web interface for that and then i start querying the content so what license do i need for this entry capability and it's giving me exact answers on that one so it's not teaching me but it's a tool that allows me to confirm some of my thinking once i have enough knowledge on the topic at hand and i sort of like this approach because then i don't have to skim through dozens of pages of stuff to confirm something that i'm thinking i can just pinpoint the exact things with generative ai but i still have to read and do my labs in order to get the baseline knowledge in there. That's probably my 2023 modern approach to learning some of the more complex topics. Yeah, I think that resonates. Um, and I think that kind of <clears throat> exaggerates um, and, and saturates my uh, skimming through this course here and, and the exam. I'm really excited to try it out, actually. So I, I might just book it because uh, I have worked quite a bit with the Azure AI services and, and you know, previously cognitive services. There are, like I mentioned before, like language understanding and, and the language APIs and language services, not something I worked a lot with. But, you know, that gives me an area that I need to study up before I do this. So I'm probably going to book this and, and see how that goes. Um, is there any kind of closing thoughts from your end on this? Um, have a look at the labs and with the intention that OpenVS code, try not to use GitHub Copilot chat to generate some of the code. <laughs> and what I've learned is when you type something manually now, that's the best way to make it stick. But if you just copy paste the sample code from the lab, you can sort of say, yeah, I get this. 
But then a day later, somebody is asking you, so how do I use the SDK? I have no idea. I just copied something and it sort of worked. And that's the tricky part because you have so many great tools that you can utilize to become, air quotes, productive. But at the same time, there has to be a way for you to learn and internalize things. And the only ways to do, at least for me, is writing by hand or writing with the keyboard and thinking what I'm writing. So that is probably my best and last guidance on how do you pass exams like this that require you to do a bit of coding as well. Alrighty, the last bit, the unexpected question. Uh, I have a question for you, Toby. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm always ready. Let's go. If you could only eat one type of cheese for the rest <laughs> of your life, but it also becomes your only topic of conversation, which <laughs> cheese would you choose and why? <laughs> <laughs> so I can only talk about cheese for the rest of my life, and I have to select one because I'm going to eat that the rest of my life. Um, a couple of good cheeses come to mind. I, I think I'm going to have to say Gouda obviously, because it's great for snacks and you can melt it on top of things and it's great for grating as well. So you can still eat a lot of good foods with Gouda, uh, like the obvious choice for me. But imagine all the endless puns because you have to use this in conversations. Uh, I could now start every morning and every conversation with Gouda morning. And I can say that's a good enough for me when I've done my presentation and I feel satisfied with my PowerPoint deck. I can say that's a good and Gouda enough work uh, I'll, I'll make this work. Uh, so I'll probably be the life of any party or the most avoided person in the room because I can only talk about that one specific cheese and nothing else. Either way, uh, I'd be probably an unbelievably happy uh, person with that choice. <laughs> then, then we would have to then we would have to rename the the, the podcast to Control Alt Cheese. We just talk about cheese. Uh, this reminds me, though, before we wrap up. Um, a uh, few Dutch friends of mine, they educated me that it's pronounced Gouda. And I'm like, no, it's G-O-U-D-A, it's Gouda. No, no, it's Gouda. And now you see, you've learned something new. And every time I see Gouda cheese in the grocery store, I'm thinking about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning stuff. <laughs> Alrighty, thanks for joining us. See you next week. All right, see you then.